good to see each of you today. Um, Eugene did introduce me. I love when Eugene introduces me because he's like so excited on the inside, but then on the outside, he's like stone cold every week. I love it. Anyway, uh, my name is Rona. I'm the campus director here. I think I've gotten to meet each of you personally at some point, had some type of conversation with you, uh, but I'm really excited to be sharing the word with you because I preached last week and that message was something that God was really stirring, um, putting and burning on my heart. Um, stirring in my heart for a while now, <clears throat> and and Pastor Aaron was going to preach tonight, and last minute she's like, I can't, I can't preach. I have other stuff I have to take care of. They're going to go to Hong Kong soon. They have ministry appointment, and so so when I thought about preaching tonight, it was awesome because I've never gotten to preach back to back, and so like being able to follow up with the the previous speaker is always someone else, right? But this time I get to follow up on my own message, which is awesome. And, um, and one thing that we talked about last week was Abraham, right? And do you guys remember the acronym that we talked about? Hope. Hope. Does anyone, can anyone bravely and boldly tell me what it means? What does H-O-P-E stand for? Who can do it? Who can, everyone nominates Yee. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Yee, why don't you share it with us? Into the, into the Mikey, into the Mikey. Yi does not have him. Does anyone have him memorized? Oh, Gina Nam. Nam Gina. Oh, Yi. <laughs> okay, Yi, come up, come up, come up. Tell us what HOP stands for. Hearing clearly. Obey quickly. Persist. Persisted in faith. And expecting goodness. Everybody clap it up for Yi. That was awesome. <laughs> okay, so we were talking about God taking Abraham to the land that he will show him, right? And how sometimes it's difficult to continue on in faith when we don't know where we're going, when there are uncertainties in front of us, and how we have to persist in faith, continue to expect the Lord's goodness in our lives. And one thing I didn't mention last week was that all along Abraham's journey to the land of promise, to the fulfillment of promises, he would oftentimes just stop traveling and he would build an altar and he would stop going forward. He would stop whatever he was doing. He would build an altar and he would worship God. Okay. He would build an altar and he would worship God all along the journey. And tonight, what I want to talk about is, is just that. What it means to really build an altar of worship in our lives. How we really can't go forward any farther into the land that God will show us until we remember the weight, until we get a greater revelation of what worship is, of what worship means to us, of what worship means to the Father. And so um, I was going to preach on something completely different. And then yesterday I was, I was, I had so much to do. You guys know my family's in town. So I don't have a lot of free time, but the free time I do have, like my day off, which is Monday, I'd like to spend with them. But I had to preach at Sagion, early morning worship service at 8 a.m. today. And then I had to preach today, tonight. So I was like, man, gotta take my day off and sermon prep for two messages. I'm excited, but I want to spend time with my family. I have so much work to do on top of that. Um, but then I was, I was, in the church office, just worship or just sermon prepping, and and I turn on a worship song, um, and all of a sudden I was just worshiping the Lord and worshiping the Lord, and then and then I was like, okay, I'm gonna pray, and then I'm gonna just get in the Word, and I'm gonna get a revelation, I'm gonna write this message on what I thought I was gonna preach on, and then God, I felt like the one thing He was telling me was just stay here, stay in the place of worship, just keep worshiping me. And then I I was like, okay, God, I could do a couple more minutes. And I was just worshiping the Lord and worshiping the Lord. And then, and then I was like, okay, I'm done, you know? And then I felt like God was just saying, will you linger in the place of worship? Will you press in in the place of worship? Will you continue to worship me longer, Rona? Will you press in? Will you worship me? And, um, and I felt this like heaviness on my heart, like, 
Rona, this worship to the Lord is far more important than anything else you could be doing. This is way more important than what you think you need to get done. This is way more important than anything else on your agenda today. This place right here with the Lord is so much more important than anything else you could do today. This is important. Will you stay in the place of worship? And that's what God was putting on my heart. And I was like, it doesn't make any sense because I have stuff to do, God. But okay, I'm going to stay in this place of worship. And, um, and this, this, what happened yesterday is something that's been continually happening, happening in this season for me personally, as I, um, spend time with the Lord in my daily and my personal life. Um, you know, God highlights different things in different seasons. And this season, God kept pulling me deeper, closer to his heart in the place of worship. And you guys know that I, I'm a worshiper, right? You guys remember Pastor Myungwa's message when she came here and she told y'all that embarrassing story about how I had like pers- powerful encounters with God in the shower, okay? And I have, I like have these revelations in the shower and, the, and, um, but not just that, like I, I remember one time, um, I was on a treadmill working out and, 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 um, I was just, I was listening to a really anointed podcast or a worship song. And then it just got to be so good. And I, I was just like, I cannot focus on what I'm doing. Like, it doesn't even matter. And I just, I just closed my eyes on the treadmill. And then, and then before I knew, I lifted my hands and then I forgot what I was doing. And, and then I fell. And, and, um, and even yesterday I was jogging along Hangang and, um, and I was just running and listening to a podcast from the retreat and there were people around, you know, sitting around Han River and I was just jogging and then I just stopped. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus, you know, in the middle of my jog. And, and so I love worshiping God, you know, wherever, whenever, however, I love worshiping God. I do, but, um, It doesn't matter. Like, God wants to take us to a deeper level of worship. God wants to bring us closer into his heart. But sometimes it takes pressing in. Sometimes it it takes a little patience. Sometimes it takes a little perseverance to go into a deeper place of worship than we have before. Okay? And I think that... um, This is really a message that is not only something God is telling me and teaching me in this season, but it's something for SNU as well. That God wants to take us into a deeper level of worship. More committed, more intimate worship to him. And, um, you know, this season of my life, there are more uncertainties, more unknowns than I have ever experienced in my life. But God is saying, it's time to worship. And I feel like as a campus as well, at, at SNU, in each of your lives as well, there may be some things in your life that are uncertain, that are unknown. And you don't know sometimes which step to take. But the answer and the key, I think, for this season is worship. All right? Um, and, and I think that the, the kind of repetition God was speaking to my heart, what I heard yesterday was, Rona, choose to worship. Worship when you don't have the answers. Worship to your freedom. Worship to your breakthrough. Worship through the pain. Worship through the heartache. Worship through the trial. Worship through the uncertainties. Worship the Lord. All right? And I believe that is the message that God wants to speak to each of our hearts tonight. So, if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 4, 23 through 24. John chapter 4, 23 and 24 says, The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And I believe God's heart for us, the the objective tonight is to really get a revelation of the weight of worship. To get a revelation of the weight of worship in our own lives, but also the desire of God's heart for worshipers, okay? Uh, there was a season in my life when I was, like, asking God for all this ridiculous stuff, and, and I was like, these are the desires of my heart, God! And then, and then one moment, I just had this random thought. 
wow, like, you really express your desires to God clearly, Rona, you know? (laughs) But have you ever thought about asking God what's on his heart? What are the desires of his heart? And in that season, I remember I would continually ask God, what are the desires on your heart? Um, And I'm going to preach a message on that someday. But one of the things that it says in the word of God that God desires is worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Did you guys know that God has desires and things that he's seeking after? And they have specific things in the Bible that it says he desires and that it brings him pleasure. And one of those things is worshipers that worship him in spirit and in truth. And so this is important not only for our benefit Not only for what does us good, but it's important because it's something that pleases the Father. It's something that pleases the God of the universe. And that really matters, right? Eugene preached part of my message during his corporate intercession. And so it's going to be a good time going through that again with you. But um, I really believe that the key for our campus and for each of us personally is worship. Because we have prayed, guys especially the staff and student leaders. We know, you guys know we've sown, we've prayed, we've warred, we have stood in faith, we've persevered, we have tried many different routes to achieve certain goals. But I believe what God is calling us to now as a campus is to worship, is to worship. And there are three situations in particular that I want to address tonight. Um, because I think that as a campus and also as individuals in this room, there are three situations or circumstances that we find ourselves in. And what we've been doing in those situations and circumstances, it hasn't been worship, okay? It's been many other things. It's been striving even harder. It's been warring even more. And I believe that as I kind of unpack these three different scenarios for you and and kind of point to what the Word of God says to do in those situations, I want us to leave here tonight with a clear picture of how to respond How to respond when these situations, when these circumstances um, come at us, okay? Um, I'm going to also give like a a personal response and also a communal or a corporate response. As Eugene shared earlier, worship is so good. It is good for us. We do find freedom. We do find breakthrough. But it's also so much bigger than us. And so know that as we unpack this this um, worship revelation, um, there's always going to be a call to what we're supposed to do as a community, okay? So number one, a situation that presents itself, okay? Number one, worship when you face trials. Worship when you face trials. And a lot of this, guys, is going to be basic, and it's something, you know, we may say to one another. It may seem very simple, but I really believe that in this season, guys, if we turn to God in worship, it's going to make all the difference as a campus, as um, as individuals, okay? Um, I feel like many of us have been feeling stuck, okay? Feeling stuck in a, the same place, in the same situation, in the same problem. We feel stuck. We feel like it's been a difficult season. We feel like things have come against us or things aren't going as we wanted. And we don't know what to do in the situation. Um, but the word of God shows us what to do in the situation. And I want us to turn to Acts 16. Eugene mentioned this. Um, Acts 16 verses 25 through 34 And it talks about Paul and Silas, okay? Paul and Silas. And basically what these men are doing, okay, is they're ministering and they're being obedient to the call of God on their lives, all right? And in the process of doing that, this is what happens to them. We're we're dropped into verse 25, okay? I'm going to read it for you. Acts 16, starting with verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer 
jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Okay. What's happened here is these men were ministering and they were being obedient to the call of God in their lives. And they were put into prison. They were beaten and then thrown into a prison cell. Okay. Thrown into a prison cell. And then it says they do something kind of crazy, right? They start praying and singing hymns to God. They started praying and singing hymns to God. Can you guys imagine being in Paul and Silas's shoes? Okay. We all face discouragements. We all face um, sadness. We all face difficult situations. We all feel sometimes like we're stuck in a prison, in a pit, whatever it is we feel stuck in. And I don't know if it's anyone's natural response to just start singing hymns and start praying and praising the Lord in that situation. Right? I would say maybe I'd come to that conclusion after a long time. But the first thing I would do is not praying and singing praises to God. Okay. But a lot of times, guys, the difficult situations we find ourselves in, it's because of our own bad decisions, right? Like we're the ones that did the thing that caused us to be in that pit. But these guys were doing good. Okay. They didn't do anything to be thrown into prison. They didn't do anything bad. They had though, they had no hope for a good trial. They had no hope for justice being enacted. They didn't know what their future was going to look like. They didn't know if their hopes and dreams were going to come true. They didn't know how their family would go. They didn't know if they'd see their friends again. They didn't know if they were going to live through another week. They had no idea. Okay. So I know that all of us are facing difficult situations, but these men were also facing a very bleak, difficult situation. The situation doesn't dictate our worship. We choose to worship no matter what we see in front of us, no matter what's around us, no matter what we feel. Can you imagine what they must have felt, guys? These humans with flesh and blood, with emotions, okay? They were just beaten, undeservedly thrown into a prison cell. They probably weren't feeling like worship. They probably weren't feeling like giving praise to God, okay? And so I know that sometimes our emotions will tell us that it's not worth it to praise God, that it's not worth worth it to press in in worship, but we can't go by what we feel. We can't go by our emotions. We can't go by what's around us. Even if it's a prison cell, we have praises to sing to our father, right? The word doesn't say that in this horrible situation, they texted and called three of their besties and had, you know, like a meltdown on the phone. And then they talked to their familiar leader, and then they told the whole story again to their Sidinim. And then, you know, after a couple months of counseling, they were able to lift their hands again in praise, okay? They didn't do that. But let me tell you that it was hard for them, okay? We cannot think, oh, they're just so holy, so they, of course they're going to worship, unlike me, okay? No, they're just humans like us. Okay, And the same spirit of God that was in them is in you. And the same resurrection life that's in them is in you. And so if they can worship in this situation, we can worship in our situation. Okay, And I'm not saying that we can't you know, complain and talk and be real with our emotions. But what I'm saying is in those times when we face trials, we have to choose worship. It's not just going to fall out of the heavens, okay? The spirit of worship is now upon me in this prison cell, okay? It's not like, it's not just going to descend. We choose it, okay? We choose it, and then it changes everything. Their minds were focused on the goodness and power of God. Not on their situation, not on the problem, not on their uncertain futures, not on the injustice that had been done to them, which it all was true. It was hard and it was unjust, right? But they didn't focus and dwell on that. They focused on the goodness of God. Their heart attitude was, I may be in a prison cell bleeding 
and I really have no idea what's going to happen to me, but that does not change the fact that God is good and God is worthy and God has been faithful and God is all powerful and I will worship him no matter what it looks like, no matter what I feel like, no matter what I see, I'm going to choose to worship him. And so personally, if you are going through a season of difficulty, if you... If you're going through something that feels like a prison cell, you feel like you're stuck in a pit like these men, or injustice has been done to you and it's been hard, I want you to know that Paul and Silas, they were in your shoes as well. And I want this picture of two beaten men in a prison cell to kind of be engraved in our hearts and minds. When you feel like, man, it's so hard right now. I don't know what I can do. I don't know how I can get myself out of this pit. It's so uncertain. I don't know how I can lift this discouragement. I want you to remember Paul and Silas, that they lifted up hymns and prayers to God in that prison cell. Okay? As you glorify God and worship him in that place, in that trial, you are You are worshiping yourself into a place of freedom. You are worshiping your place into your breakthrough. You are worshiping yourself out of that prison cell and out of that pit. You think that you have to wait until some miracle happens and gets you out of the prison, gets you out of the pit. But God is saying, if you worship me, the miracle will happen. The miracle happens when we worship him. The miracle happens when we choose to trust him, when everything tells us not to choose to trust him. The miracle happens when we activate our faith and lift up our hands and glorify God in the midst of it. That is when the miracle happens. That's when the earthquake came and the prison doors opened and they were set free. That's when people saw the power of God, when these men lifted up worship to him in the midst of that horrible situation and people gave their lives to him. The miracle that we want to see, it happens when we worship. And collectively, as a community, um, if you know someone who's struggling, a friend, a peer, then what you do not do is you don't jump into the pit with them, into the prison with them, as they're wallowing in despair. You don't just empathize and then just stay there, okay? A lot of times we want to be a good friend and we're like, oh, let me, let me be there for you and walk alongside you. But what happens is we just, we also take our focus off God and then we're, we're like in the pit and we're worse off than our friend, right? That's not what we do. As a community, when you see a brother or sister struggling, and we all do sometimes, the answer is not to jump in the pit with them. The answer is to walk alongside them and then bring them to a higher place. Bring them to a place where they're not focused on themselves anymore, but where they're focused on the Lord, on the Lord's goodness, right? As a community, we have to do that for one another. So number one, worship when we face trials. Number two, worship when we face a battle. Okay? Worship when we face a battle. I know that a lot of us, we feel like we're in the middle of a war, right? Um, you know, just getting to know each of, each of you personally, I know that many of you are facing really, really crazy battles in your family, in your friend groups, in your academic life, in your jobs, in so many areas of your life, it feels like there's a war and there's so much coming against you. I know that you guys have been feeling like you've been fighting and fighting and trying to stand in faith and, and trying to wage war and trying to work harder and fight harder and strive and go for it. But I really believe that um, the key is not to keep trying to fight. The key is to stop and worship the Lord. In the middle of that battle, in the middle of that struggle, in the middle of that war that you're raging, maybe there's a a sin pattern, an addiction, a train of thought, a mentality, and you have been trying so hard to fight against it. You've been trying so hard to fight your way into freedom. You've been trying so hard to stop that way of thinking, and you've been really, really pushing yourself, trying to live up to a standard of holiness, and I feel like God's encouragement his heart for us today is to stop fighting stop fighting and worship him worship him and i'm going to give us two biblical examples of when this has happened when it's wartime and instead of fighting worship was the weapon of warfare that was chosen okay and the first one is a very well-known story it's joshua at jericho so let's turn to joshua 6 1 through 5, Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. 
And basically what's happening is Joshua is, is supposed to inherit the promised land, go into the promised land, and they come against this fortified city that has really strong walls, and it looks like they're impenetrable. It looks like the Israelites can't win. They can't have victory. And God gives a strategy to the Israelites, okay? And this is where we pick up. Joshua chapter 6, 1 through 5. <coughs> Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. And if you continue to read on in chapter 6, it happens exactly like God tells them. Okay, so he's giving them a strategy for war. They are coming against an army, a city with really strong walls. And then they ask God what to do. And God says, you will send men with horns and you will circle the city and you will blow the horns and you will shout. Okay, that is God's warfare strategy for victory. It wasn't. Get your chariots and your horses and your guns and your weapons. It was worship. It was blowing on ram's horns. It was lifting up shouts of victory. That is what tore the walls down and gave victory to the Israelites. Another example of this is 2 Chronicles 20, 1 through 23. And I'm going to skip around and just read parts of it. So if you turn to 2 Chronicles 20, um, I'm going to kind of skim through it. But basically what's happening here is that a great multitude, a large army has gathered and they're coming against King Jehoshaphat. Okay. Everyone say Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Yeah. That's a fun name to say. All right. So verse one says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and with them, some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom and from beyond the sea. Skip to verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord and the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken the counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Okay? What happened here is a multitude came against this king. And what he does, guys, he doesn't come up with a battle strategy. He doesn't think his way through a solution. He falls on his face. And all of Judah fall on their faces to worship God. And then what he decides to do next is he, d- he appoints people to go before the army and sing praises to God. Okay. The worshipers had to go first. Appointing the worshipers was the most important thing to this king. And as soon as they sang praises, it didn't say when they came up with a military strategy, when they came up to us with a solution to the, the problem, when they came out of the battle victorious, it didn't say that they worshiped God when the victory was already won, when the answer was already clear, when it was already peacetime, did they say, God, thank you. It says that in the middle of the war, when the army was coming against them and it looked like they were going to lose. They fell on their faces and worshiped God. And Jehoshaphat appointed priests and musicians to worship him. And it says that when they sang praises to God, an ambush 
was formed. When they sang praises to God, God created an ambush and destroyed the army. Okay? What no amount of fighting, striving, effort, thinking, working harder, getting angry at yourself, trying harder, what no amount of that striving could do, worship could do. Okay? In the face of the overwhelming might of the enemy, God doesn't say just work harder, just try harder. That's not the way God rolls. That's not his heart. Okay? God calls us to worship. Worship him. Worship is warfare. Worship is the most powerful form of warfare, okay? I know that we're talking about prayer. We're talking about our authority in God. We're talking about the right kind of vocabulary to use in prayer. We bind and loose and all that stuff. But worship is the most powerful form of warfare there is, okay? It's the most powerful because it's declaring, God, you are more powerful. And when I sing praises to you, that is more powerful when I'm trying to strive and work it out in my own effort. My praises to this awesome, powerful God are more powerful than all the work I could be doing for you. Okay, that is the most powerful declaration of faith. And God cannot help but move and defeat all of your enemies in that kind of faith, right? If this is you tonight, then I want to encourage you to stop fighting. Stop trying to fix things. Stop trying to play the part of God. You cannot fix yourself, okay? As convenient as that would be, we can't fix ourselves, okay? We can't. Usually in small and bigger things, we can't fix ourselves, okay? I can't even consistently wake up at 6 a.m. How am I going to set myself free from bondage, you know? We cannot fix ourselves. I don't know when we began to think that we could, okay? But we can't. Let me just break it to us all, okay? And we can deal with it together as a community. We can't fix ourselves, okay? You cannot set yourselves free. It's impossible. You can't set anyone else free. No amount of work can fix that big problem or that little one. But if you will simply look to God and worship him, you will see the marvelous things he's doing in you, through you, in the lives of others. And you can jump on board with that. Your worship will fix things. Your worship will set you free. Your worship will break you into new levels. Your worship will break that bondage off. Your worship will also witness to other people. Your worship is so powerful. And collectively, as a campus, as a community, when we first came to SNU, um, it was fall 2012 and I came with a staff that's now the the CD the campus director of KU and so it was me and Eunice and I was full-time which meant I just came to campus by myself and I wandered around and got lost all the time and I just I remember one time I was circling this building and I remember I circled it like seven times just because I was lost and I did not know where to go I was supposed to meet Hyojin somewhere and I was trying to find it and I was like oh I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to worship you as I'm circling all these buildings, as I'm terribly lost and confused. And I just walked around and I listened to my music and I worshiped the Lord on this campus. But not just that, um, Eunice and I, we planned certain events where we, we had worshipers come. Pastor Mark, who led us in a powerful time of worship today, he actually came. I don't know if you remember, but he actually came and we were doing like an evangelism outreach thing and he brought his guitar and we set up worship right next to a sign that says, be quiet, please. <laughs> we were, so we were really full of the spirit and joy, but then we were like, you're praised, Will. And we were like really trying to tone it down because of the sign. It was, it wasn't, you know, that, that good, but it was so much fun. And, and, um, and then another time Sarah Wan, she was worshiping and, and that was so powerful. And that semester we also had certain worship and prayer walks. So we would have a worship leader come. We'd have student leaders and staff from other campuses come. And then we would just walk around campus and declare God is enthroned and we would just worship. And I don't know, we didn't plan it out and say, Oh, we have to start this campus plant with worship. I did not ever have that thought. Okay, I'm not that smart. But I remember, I think about it now, and I'm like, man, that's exactly how you wanted us to inherit SNU. That's exactly how you wanted us to come into this campus. And we are reaping fruit because when we first stepped foot here, we decided to worship God, right? 
And so our first events were worship events. And um, I know that that, God, that brought God's heart so much pleasure that we entered into campus in that way. And as we continue to do ministry here, it's, it's spring 2014, right? Um, we've done large group for a little over a year now. But as we continue to press in, as we continue to do ministry here, and we see certain opposition, certain closed doors, right? As we see resistance and as we are continuing to advance God's kingdom and wage war on this campus, I want us to not set down that mandate and that call to worship. We don't just start with worship as we enter into this campus, but it's something we continue to press in with. It is our strategy on this campus. I think many times we got distracted and we thought if we just did this or if we just had this answer or if we just did whatever or whatever, we could get this club thing, we could then be established at SNU. But I feel like now God is saying we have to shift our focus and know that the battle will be won through our worship. The Lord is looking for worshipers on this campus. That's something he said at the very beginning. And I said it all the time, but I stopped saying it after like the first six months. And I was like, okay, we just got to work harder, guys. Let's put on more posters. Okay. Posters. Flyers. And those are, I'm not saying that's, J-Matt, your work is very valued. Your posters and flyers are beautiful. It's important ministry. But primarily, guys, to advance God's kingdom on this campus, we must cultivate a heart of worship. Okay. So we worship God in trials. We worship God in the face of battles. And number three, we worship God in the face of idols. Okay? Idols. And this is going to be a little bit heavy. So brace yourselves. Okay? Brace yourselves for the heavy. Uh, But I believe that I have... I've I've approached this topic um, in passing. I've thrown things out there. But I've never really um, faced it straight on. And I think it's time. As we talk about true worship, I think it's time to talk about idolatry, okay? And I want us to turn to Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8, starting with verse 7, and we're going to go through 16, okay? Ezekiel chapter 8, 7 through 16. And, And Ezekiel is a prophet of the Lord in this time. And what's happened is there is one temple of God, okay? We all know that if we know Jesus, we are now the temple of God. And we can enter into worship. We can enter into God's presence anytime as believers because he lives in us. But there was a time pre-Jesus when the glory and the presence of God was only contained in one physical location. And that is this place. So if you want to go into the presence of God, you've got to do all these animal sacrifices, make yourself ritually clean, and then you can go into the outer court. But you could never even go into the inner court where God's presence really was. Priests had to go and do that. They had to go and and talk to God on your behalf. It was that holy of of a space, okay? So in this one place where God's presence dwelt on the earth, this is where we pick up. Ezekiel is given the call by God to confront, to bring truth, to bring light onto the people in this time, okay? Because they were doing evil things in the sight of the Lord. And this is where we pick up. Ezekiel chapter 8, starting with verse 7. An angel of the Lord is basically taking Ezekiel on a tour through the temple, okay? So I want you to picture that. There's this man... Ezekiel, I'm the prophet, okay? And then there's this angel of the Lord, and he's, like, kind of showing Ezekiel this, like, this, the temple in a vision. And he's showing Ezekiel what's actually happening in the spiritual realm, okay? And he brought me to the entrance of the court, and when I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. Then the angel said to me, son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall, and behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, go in and see the vile abominations that are, commit- that are being committed there. So I went in and saw, and there engraved on the wall all around us was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel. Verse 11. And before them stood 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel with Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, standing among them. Each had his censer in his hand, and the smoke of the cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his room of pictures? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. He said also to me, You will still see even greater abominations than they commit. Verse 14, then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and behold, there sat a woman weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? You will see still greater abominations than these. And he brought me to the inner court of the house of the Lord. 
And behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, worshiping the sun toward the east. Okay? So the, the prophet is being taken on a tour and the angel takes him into the temple and, and points out three abominations, three abominations to Ezekiel. And he says, each one is getting worse. Each one is getting worse. And what happens is basically in the temple, the way it's structured is there's an outer court. Then you go a little bit further in. Then there's an inner court. Okay. Outer court. A lot of people can kind of chill and hang out. Not everybody, but they can, right? And in the outer court, what they saw were idols of the house of Israel, all the things God called evil, filling up the house of God. God at that time had called certain animals like pigs unclean. And they saw all the things that God said was unclean. Do not do this in the outer court. Okay. They saw all of those, but then he said, go in deeper in the second layer. He saw a woman weeping for Tammuz. Okay, Tammuz, a woman is weeping. Women are weeping. And Tammuz is a Mesopotamian pagan god. Okay, in the temple of God, where his presence dwelt. Not the inner court, but right outside it, women are weeping for the death of a pagan god. Okay, in the temple of God. Okay, but the angel said it gets even worse. Go into the inner court, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel steps into the inner court, and there are 25 men. These are the ones that are set apart for ministry unto God's heart. These are the ones that are called to a greater level of righteousness and purity. And it says that their backs are to the presence of God. And they are bowing towards the east, towards the sun. Okay, that means their backsides are to the glory of God. And they are facing a completely different direction. In the inner court, okay? In the inner court. This is a heavy thing. And what the angel is saying to Ezekiel is, let me tell you why God is bringing destruction. Here is why God is bringing destruction. God detests idolatry. God detests idolatry, okay? Especially when it's people that have been set apart for service to him. God detests idolatry. And... And I want us to kind of think about idolatry in a bigger scale, in a way that's more relatable to our time, okay? We don't have a Mesopotamian sun god to worship, all right? You could try to find and worship one, but good luck to you. I've never seen one. I don't know where to find them. It's, it's good. But it, idolatry is not just limited to the literal, I'm bowing to an idol. I'm bowing to a statue. I'm bowing to a god, like Buddha or a Hindu god, right? Idolatry is so much bigger than that. And what Martin Luther uh, says about idolatry for us in our time and age is this, okay? Martin Luther says, anything we look to more than we look to Christ for our sense of acceptability, joy, significance, hope, and security is by definition our God. Something we adore, serve, and rely on with our whole life and heart. In general, idols can be good things like family, achievement, work and career, romance and talent, even gospel ministry. They are good things that we turn into ultimate things to give us the significance and joy we need. Then they drive us into the ground because we must have them. A sure sign of the presence of idolatry is inordinate anxiety, anger, or discouragement when our idols are thwarted. So if we lose a good thing, it makes us sad. But if we lose an idol, it devastates us. Okay? And so these men in Ezekiel's time are in the presence of God, called to serve the Lord, called to have clean hands and a pure heart, called to do ministry on behalf of the whole people. And in the inner court, they're worshiping an idol. But what about us in our own hearts, in our own lives? Idols are not just Mesopotamian sun gods. They're not just statues, but there can be good things that God wants to bless us with. Achievement, family, success, relationships, ministry, futures, right? These are all good things. And God never said, you know, that he hates them. But when they become an ultimate thing, and when our significance and joy come from them, 
then it becomes an idol. And in his grace, God will often topple that idol over. It's not because he hates us, and it's not because he wants to take good things from us, but it's because he knows that we will be ultimately devastated and disappointed if we continue on that path for long. Just like he said, destruction is coming, Ezekiel, to these people. This is not good for my people. He says the same thing of the idols we've built in our own lives. It's not good for my people to worship an idol because it will not satisfy them in the long run. It will not please them. It will not take them where they want to go. I alone can satisfy my people. Another sign of idolatry, guys, is when we have found that our hearts have grown cold and apathetic towards God. Okay? Often an idol that we place on the throne of our hearts is ourselves, our own comfort, our own well-being. We can be an idol to ourselves, okay? Rona is Rona's idol, right? If we found that we've been growing apathetic and numb and cold to God, we also have to check and see, God, search my heart. Are there idols? Are there things that I have been seeking to please and satisfy more than you? Have I, have I taken you off the throne of my heart and put myself or something else there? What is really giving my life meaning and excitement and significance and, and, and purpose? Is it you or is it something else or someone else? And if it is God, will you reveal it to me in grace so that I can place you in that place again? If God is not enthroned in the center of our hearts, then it's time to repent and place him there again. Tonight is a night of grace. If, if this is something and God is revealing something to one of our hearts, it's in his grace that he's revealing it so that we can turn to him and place him there in the place he belongs. Worship him and give him the worship that he deserves. The Lord hates idolatry and God wants a priesthood of believers that is pure and set apart, wholly devoted to him. The idolatry of the priests was worse than if other people did it because their worship really mattered to God. And as believers, as New Testament saints, with Jesus living inside you, you are a priest now. There is no high class priesthood. You are the priesthood. It's a priesthood of all believers who ministers to God's heart in the place of worship and intercession, who ministers to his heart as priests, all of you. You are priests. You are held to a higher standard. You are the ones God has called and chosen for himself. You're the ones that are set apart. This campus, guys, if you hang out with your friends who don't come to Emmaus for long, you will see that their their hearts are not set on God. You are the ones that are called to be set apart. You are the ones that are called to be pure and blameless. You are the ones that are supposed to stand in the gap for those people. And so we have to check our hearts and see if our idol is taking that place, right? I really feel like what God was speaking to me was, Rona, do not feast at any other table but mine, because no other food can satisfy you. Do not feast at any other table but mine. He, it says in in Song of Solomon that he has set before us a banqueting table. He's prepared for us a banqueting table, and everything he has in that table is so good. It's so good, and it truly satisfies And so even if personally you don't feel like you've been giving in to idolatry, you know that God is the center, you and God are tight, you worship God, and that's it, nothing else, everything else doesn't matter because you and Jesus, you know, are good. If if you're good, okay, but I want you to think about um, what happens on this campus, okay? I said every one of these worship in the face of, it has a personal application but also a collective one. What happens on this campus, It's very clear to see idolatry is rampant on this campus, right? We see idolatry in the literal sense. We see worshiping of other gods. We know that there are other religions on this campus. But not just that. There are also other idols, okay? Like intellectualism, humanistic thinking, idolatry like lust, um, alcoholism, um, achievement, success, grades, family, relationships. There are so many idols, on this campus, strongholds on this campus, and if you have friends, with, if you're close friends with people that are non-believers, you will clearly be able to distinguish certain idols in their life, right? Certain things that they're always um, tripping up about, certain things that they're always like depressed about or, or anxious about. It could be grades, it could be what their parents think, it could be what their boyfriend says, it could be what their girlfriend says, it could be the friend group that's ostracizing, them. like, 
you will be able to tell that there are things that our heart have clung to, right? And they give us significance and meaning and purpose and value, and they define us. And we're going to that place or that person or that thing for meaning. And so um, what I believe that God is calling each of us to tonight is, will Will my SNU Emmaus students be that priesthood? Will they be that people that are set apart, set apart wholly unto me? Will there be a people at SNU that will stand in the gap? That will topple down those idols, that will turn away from the idols and worship me, the true living God? Will there be a people that will really rise up at this hour and intercede and stand in the gap for your friends, for your professors, for your classmates, for the people in your dorms? Who will be those people on the SNU campus? And I really believe that God is calling SNU Emmaus to something higher at this hour. Um, And I want to kind of do something different tonight. And so if you have a piece of paper and a pen, please get it out. If you don't, get your phone, get a note-taking device of some sort. Um, And I want to do an activity with you um, because I think it's going to just practically be very helpful for each of us. And what I want to do is I want us to identify certain triggers I want us to identify the things that we normally turn to, and I want us to commit in that place to respond in worship. Okay, are you guys getting a little toasty? A little bit? Can we turn on the AC? Thanks, the A. Okay, so what we're going to do is take your pen and paper and then identify what are your triggers. And what I mean by this is what do you often find yourself getting upset about? When... This happens in your life, okay? Maybe something happens at work, in your class, when that one certain letter grade comes back each time, okay? Uh, When you have a phone call with your parent and they tell you the same thing that really drives you mad. Um, When you talk to your boyfriend and then after that conversation and he says that one thing, it tears your world apart, okay? Or you... Talk to your non-existent boyfriend, and then you realize your life sucks because you don't have one. Like, think about what those triggers are. What are those repetitive moments when you find yourself disappointed, discouraged, upset, losing hope, losing faith, losing excitement, okay? Uh, Often, it's not just like a random day, it's this, and then this, and then this, and there are different things. A lot of times, we can pinpoint a couple things where often we, we get disappointed about this particular topic, okay? Family, a relationship, grade, job, okay? Those are just some examples. But I want us to all take a moment and think, what is my trigger? What is the thing that I often find myself getting discouraged, disillusioned, disappointed about, okay? And you can ask Holy Spirit to help you if you can't think of something. But try to identify what your trigger is, okay? What leads to that discouragement or sadness, What leads to that feeling of defeat? Oh, I'm so stuck here. I'm in this pit, right? I'll give a a minute for that. You can write it down. And if you've been able to identify that, I want on the next line for you to write down Psalm 42. Psalm 42. And write down the words, I will yet praise him. I will yet praise him. I will yet praise him. Okay. So the first line, the trigger, whatever triggers that disappointment or that feeling of defeat. Okay. Second line, Psalm 42, I will yet praise him. And third line, I want you to think about how you usually respond. Okay. How do you usually respond to this trigger? Or triggers. If there's more than one, it's okay. Um, Is it shopping? Is it chocolate? Is it calling your ex-girlfriend? Is it uh, venting on certain friends in an unhealthy way that doesn't bless them or you in the end? Is it turning to certain substances that are not healthy? Is it turning to certain relationships that are unhealthy? Is it, you know, there's so many things that we turn to. Um... 
I remember there was a season of my life, I'm going to be really vulnerable, and I'm doing this so that you can feel free to be you, okay? There was a season of my life where I kept getting discouraged about something, and I would, every single time this happened, I would order a box of Yang Yum chicken, and I would turn on Joel Osteen, and I would, I would eat chicken and watch him. And do you guys know who, who he is? Basically, he's known as, like, the most encouraging pastor ever. He, his messages are basically just encouragement, like, everything's going to be okay. Like God is for you. And so I would just eat and cry and listen to his word. It was so pathetic, but I'm not saying that like Young and Chicken is my idol or Joel Osteen is, but I, I did turn to that often. Okay. And that may not have been the most wise solution because in terms of physical health and, and just, okay, anyway, but what do you usually do in that situation when the trigger happens? What do you usually do? Okay. Think about that. And then think about what is a way that you can respond to that trigger in worship? Okay. Sometimes I think, oh, if I'm, if I'm Paul and Silas and I'm put into prison and it's this dramatic scene, then I know I will be able to worship then. No. Okay. If I cannot face one of these triggers in my life. Oh, I found out some bad news about my family again. Oh, I found out a bad news about my friend again. Oh, this happened. Oh, this great. Oh, this relation. If I can't deal with that trigger and respond in worship, what makes me think I could go get beaten and thrown into a prison cell and respond in worship? This, these triggers are opportunities for us to learn how to cultivate that response of worship. Okay. Soon it's going to be like second nature. We don't have to think, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to worship God. Soon, as soon as it happens, we know exactly what to do. We're going to go to our knees. We're going to turn on that praise song. We're going to go into the place of worship. We're going to go into our prayer closets. We're going to know how to respond in a healthy way that worships God, right? And so your trigger, Psalm Psalm 42, and then I also want us to think about what you did in the past to respond to this trigger, and how can you now commit to worship God in that trigger, What song, I want you to literally think about, specifically think about, what particular worship song are you going to turn on? What place, specifically, are you going to go and pray or sing or walk? Are you going to go for a walk? Are you going to go hike? Are you going to go climb something? Are you going to go to a certain place in your apartment or your dorm? Are you going to listen to a Bethel? Like, what is your strategy and what is your plan? I'm going to give you a minute to think about it. List the song, list the place, list the activity. How will you respond in worship to that trigger? I'll give about a minute or two. Okay, so this activity, guys, is very practical. But I wanted to do it because I believe that it's going to arm you with something as you walk out of these doors, okay? If my message to you is the importance and weight of worship, I know that the enemy is going to try in his power to get us to move from that place, right? To do everything he can to move us from that place of worship. And I want us to continue to persist in the place of worship, to to really follow through with this response of worship when those triggers come. We all have them, okay? We all have certain areas that really bring discouragement to our lives that we're contending for. And I want you to really commit in your hearts to follow through with this response of worship. Um, And this is the last time that your beloved CD is going to be preaching to you all at the same time. Uh, Next week is our last SNU large group. Pastor Marcus is coming. Um, and then the week after that, we're having our joint worship service at Itaewon, okay? And it's going to be with Yonsei, Iwa, KU, SNU. All of us are going to go worship together. So this is the last time I can share my heart with you as a campus, okay? Before summer break happens, before all of you guys go to Malaysia and to your respective nations, and or some of you guys... Um, you know, bombard yourself in your dorm room and pay all your food and watch K-dramas all summer. So this is the last time I'm going to really be able to address all of you at the same time. And what I really want to say is, um, I believe this is a key word for us in this summer and in this next season as a campus. Okay. Going into that place of worship, worshiping him in the face of trials, worshiping him in the face of opposition and battles, worshiping him in the face of the idols we see in our lives and on this campus, we have to press in in the place of worship, knowing that our worship 
opens prison doors. Knowing that our worship, it, it defeats the enemy. Knowing that our worship topples over, over idols, right? You, you will do so much damage for the kingdom this summer if you choose worship. If you choose to worship him in that dorm room, if you choose to worship him as you're walking to and from your classes, if you press into the place of worship, it's going to make a world of difference in this next season of your life. This is, it's like if, you know, God highlights different things for different seasons in different places. Maybe sometimes it's going into his word deeper. Maybe sometimes it's relationships. Right now, guys, God is saying to SNU, worship. There is a grace to press in and know my heart in worship like never before. And there's a grace to, to advance his kingdom on this campus through the place of worship. Okay? Um, I want us to spend a little time in prayer. And I really feel like... Um, the, the, the Bible study, if you guys are in a familia, the Bible study for this past week was Garment of Praise. And one of the verses that we really studied in that, in that familiar material was, when Jesus is enthroned in a place, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, right? On heaven and on earth and under the earth, everything bows when Jesus is enthroned in a place. Why is it important to enthrone Jesus? To enthrone Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as God. Why is it important to worship? Because when Jesus is enthroned, no idol can stand. When Jesus is enthroned, discouragement has no hold on us. When Jesus is enthroned, despair lifts. When Jesus is enthroned, our bondage is broken and prison doors open. When Jesus is enthroned, guys, breakthrough comes. Breakthrough happens when we enthrone Jesus in our praises.